Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 14 of our podcast during the time in quarantine, during the coronavirus pandemic, together in the word on Pioneer and Third. And Andrea, you and I are actually on Pioneer and Third, even though we're not in the same room. This will be the first time that we uh, are, are talking to each other over the phone, and yet we're both in range. Um, so I'm thank you. I'm literally looking at the intersection oh, of wonderful. Pioneer and Third right now, so it's Oh, perfect. that's good. I feel so close to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to Andrea Bennett for joining me for episode 14. Uh, Andrea, would you be willing to let us know a little something about yourself? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I am from Tacoma to various uh, degrees of places I lived growing up. Uh, Tacoma proper um, is where we lived when I was little, uh, before my my dad passed away when I was six. And after my mom remarried, we moved to Roy for a while. And yeah, so I've just, I've lived, lived in this area with the exception of about 10 years of living in Idaho um, my whole life. So. Wonderful. Can you tell us about your family and about how you found yourself at Peace Lutheran Church? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to think about what to talk about. It, you know, the in you know we talk about like the great cloud of witnesses. Um, yeah. And for me, I do. I have some Lutheran grandparents, and just by living in the area, you know, my grandparents went to PLU, um, and so, like, Lutheranism has been kind of there, but growing up, uh, we were definitely denomination hoppers, I guess. We we went to a Baptist church uh, when I was small, because it was right across the street from my house, so, you know, bookends, I guess, there, of going to churches across the street from where you live. Um and when we lived in Roy, we didn't go to church much, though I have to say, I was trying to think about it, is there were definitely times, there was one, I think it was probably Baptist Church, sent out a bus. And I lived in Roy from, like, second to fourth grade, and there were a couple times I would get on this bus on Sunday by myself, because I'm the oldest, um, and go to church at this random uh, church there. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I was trying to say, I was like, I was like nine. I was Andy's age. And That's the last, amazing. Just, I would walk to the end of the road and catch this old bus to go to this random church. And then they would bring um, you home, too. And then they would bring me home to the wow. end of the street, and I would walk to the back of the house. That's kind of wonderful. So, I guess that is the benefit of living in a place like Roy, where there's just not much sure. around. So Yeah. Um, we then, when we moved, um, back out of Roy up to Canyon Road, which is where I would, I would say that's where I grew up just cause that was where I lived most of my formative years. Um, and it wasn't until middle school that I, we started to go to church again to a, invited by a friend to a church. I was listening, I listened to last week's podcast and it struck me as funny. I was like, is this going to be a theme of inviting people who were former evangelicals <laughs> It's not a conspiracy, if that's what you're asking. No. No, it just so happens that the last three, you're right, the last three of you have had stories of denomination hopping. Yeah. Well, and I was listening, I was like, oh man, there's a lot of uh, things I had written down in my story to talk about that were just talked about last week. So, oh, okay. Like, I'm good there. Yeah, um, sorry for so stealing we your material. To- Blame Joel. <laughs> Uh, choosing. 
Wow. Um, they would go on sometimes on Sundays, but a lot of times I would get dropped off there. And we would go, yeah, I'd go to youth group on Wednesdays. Uh, friends and I would find, there was a church in Spanaway that had really good worship, so we'd go there Saturday night, um, stuff like that. But really kind of what, I don't know, changed, grew up my journey was um, the youth pastor at the church I went to. He went to a college called Northwest Nazarene University in Nampa, Idaho. And his college roommate was a, um, like, recruiter for the area. So he would go for this region. Um, and so that's where I decided to go to college. Um, I didn't know anything about Nazarene Church at all. <laughs> so I was like, it was small and it was private, uh, Christian college that was at PLU, so my mom couldn't walk there from work. Uh, <laughs> Which uh-huh. is pretty much, which I love my, you know, love my mother very much. But I thought, oh, she could take lunch and just walk over here. And I didn't know if I was. You can't take that, that risk. As an yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I went to Idaho and uh, did Nazarene things at church there. We, I didn't go, you know, when you have to go to chapel because it's a requirement of your schooling. Sometimes that means you don't, you're not always interested in going on Sundays also. Uh-huh. Um, so... Yeah, compulsory <laughs> attendance throughout the week doesn't inspire voluntary attendance on the weekend? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, I'm already there, so I think I'm okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what... And so at NMU is where I met my husband, and we lived in... After college, we lived in Boise, um, you know, five years or so. I I was trying to decide if I should say this because I feel a little bit shameful about it. Um, but that we would go, <laughs> we'd go to church on Sundays. We would drive from Boise to Nampa, probably about twenty minutes, because that's where his family was. And if you go to church on Sunday there, a lot of times that meant when you were poor and kind of just starting your way, that you would also get lunch at, out to eat. Oh, that, there is no shame in admitting that. Oh my goodness! Of course, that's a great motivation. So I mean, like, it, it wasn't. I was not. It was good. The services were good. The fellowship was good. So, but really, it was. I got to you know have lunch. Wonderful. Afterwards. Oh, good. Hey. <laughs> It you know eating really matters, doesn't it? I mean, even especially when you have to, right? Especially when you, as you said, you're poor and you you benefit from having well, a free meal. But and and going out to eat is such a treat. Oh no, kidding! But it was nice to be treated. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, what youth event doesn't have free pizza, right? Like it's the same yeah. thing in every tradition. Yes, potluck. 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 Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we went to Central. 
Central Lutheran in Seattle for a while. Okay. Until we moved back here. And then we moved here, and I think part of it was because it would have been so easy to pick the church I grew up in. I didn't say no church at all. I just was like, oh, I'll look into it. I'll do more research. Hmm. Um, and so what led us to peace was actually, I like, this is a, another thing, is I like to say that um, the, the president, the current president, led me back to church. Oh, really? Um, yes, because it was after the election okay. in 2016. We had, we, I mean, we had, a, I made, I roasted a chicken. We had cupcakes. People were over at our house, and it was so sad. It was so, <laughs> it was so heartbreaking. And I was like, oh, I just felt so, like, just devastated and lost. I was like, I need something in my life with other people where I could feel joyful and supported. <laughs> and I think, I actually think, so the election happened, and I think that Sunday was the first Sunday that I went to church at peace. I think you've told me that story. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I did not remember, by the way, this is going back a ways in your story, but I guess I didn't realize that your grandparents were Lutheran. So you've got some Lutheranism in your DNA, but you also landed across the street, and then here you found yourself in a moment of crisis, uh, walking through these doors. I mean, what's kept you here? Um, I, I think a lot of it has been, it has been very, uh, to borrow a term that I don't know that I love, but paradigm shifting. Oh, okay. Uh, in that, so... Uh, at coming out of um, an evangelical upbringing, it's like I love the people I went to church with, the church itself, lovely, some of the most wonderful, kind, caring people ever. But as an adult, kind of with, you know, looking back, there's a lot of just kind of inherent, what I like to call evangelical guilt, hmm. like within me. Sure. And so it's things like um, one. One, like, I think the first, uh, you know, going to church, I liked it. It was at peace. It's wonderful. But I think kind of the, the first time I was like, oh, oh, my goodness, um, was that you did a sermon on Thomas. Oh, yeah. And how how doubt is okay and how doubt is not wrong. Hmm. That was, like, like mind-blowing. Like, because growing up, if you have doubts, it means your faith is not strong enough. Uh-huh. You, you know, it's... You, you know, it's a reflection on, like, your sinful nature, huh. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Oh, that's and a lot so, of pressure, yeah. And, you know, I, I probably didn't think about that growing up at all. Sure. But as, looking at it now, I can see that. And so learning that things like having questions and um, wondering about things and and all that kind of stuff, does it, isn't a reflection on me not being faithful enough. They're, like, valid. Absolutely not. Yeah, you're right. Oh, that's really important. Yeah, we have a, I remember um, Nadia Boltz-Weber is one of the sort of celebrity pastors in our tradition, and she, she at one point, said something like, you know, doubt is the, is the weightlifting of the faith, right? Like, if you don't have any questions or doubts, you're not, thinking hard enough basically like you need to be more serious about your faith if you don't have any doubts or or questions so i actually think it's a it's a kind of a a badge of authenticity to have yeah uh doubts and questions about about any any range of things involved in the faith i mean if 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 the faith is a is largely mysterious in terms of the the promises and the challenges and the ways we fall short and the ways we feel fulfilled and uh, then, then yeah, it's it's just part of the part of the journey is is to experience doubt and question. I'm I'm really glad that that spoke to you uh, in yeah. that way and that it was liberating. It was very very much kind of like an oh, you know, that, that it makes me think the emoji face with the big eyes, like oh, oh my yeah. goodness, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, the emoji the, face with the big eyes. I love that. That's the thing because I think that before um, and just in my faith journey growing up, I would have. So, you know, things that are mysterious and unknown are just, well, that's just what they are. And if you can't, if you if your faith can't bridge that gap, then that's your problem. I see. And, and I think, you know, now kind of through this, I'm like, oh, bridging that gap is by asking those questions. That's how you kind of build that bridge. 
I love it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, you know, I'm really grateful for you and for Joel and for Ryan and those who've had, you know, really um, many experiences with with different traditions uh, in their upbringing. Because it, I, I'm glad we can sort of feature your stories to be reminded if, if Lutherans are guilty of one thing, when we turn around and look at all the people in the pews, sometimes I think it's that we think we're somehow some monolithic community of people who have all had the same experience and have all had similar upbringings and are, have all been baked in Lutheranism. And that's just not the case. Um, Lutheranism certainly isn't an ethnic identity, although for a long time we thought it meant that you should be Swedish or Norwegian or German or something. Uh, yeah. And it also isn't, uh, it isn't a, an identity that's rooted in your, in your infant baptism and your childhood in a Lutheran church, right? There are, yeah. and, and I, should rem, I should remind our listeners that Pippa is Roman Catholic. Uh, yeah. So, so we have, we have a, a, there are those in our church who aren't, who still don't identify as Lutheran, or if they identify as Lutheran, they have a really particular way of understanding that. And that's really important that we remember that. Our Lutheranism is a theological heritage, right? And, and yeah. a, an emphasis on the primacy of grace and God's action, God's loving action in our life and our, our sort of journey of faith, as you've, you've beautifully put words to it. So, so that's what makes us Lutheran. Not so much our not so much our identities growing up or our affiliations. Thank you. Well, yeah. Well, and the interest in me, I think, is I would say like Lutheran heritage as a religion is not something I had growing up, but yeah. kind of certain traditions, um, just by way of proximity to kind of Lutheran centers, yeah. is something. I mean, like we went to the Yule Boutique every year at PLU. Yeah. Um, and all of in my heritage is not Scandinavian. But, like, I know all of those desserts. I mean, so it's just, it's an interesting um, thing between your cultural heritage and your, like, and, you know, like, your biological heritage. It's sure. always kind of an interesting thing to me. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow, that was very rich. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also grateful to Andrea. Andrea has served for the last, what, two years as a Sunday school teacher in the congregation? Oh, wow, yeah. And I'm grateful for your faithfulness in that in that way you know that is that is a that's an effort that not everyone is capable of or or wants to take on so i'm really grateful for your willingness to teach little ones as well thanks yeah. for that yeah, of course. appreciate it um since this podcast began in the time of pandemic uh it's been one of the subjects that i've brought up with every guest and i'm wondering if you would be willing to speak a little bit to your experience during this these 14 weeks that we've been apart as a congregation, how are you and your family coping in this time? Um, I would say good, but like with maybe an asterisk <laughs> mark, uh, just because we, you know, sometimes I have to just have to really think about like, am I good or am I shoving it just deep down oh, okay. and ignoring it? You know, and I think that we're good. Uh, my husband works from home and had worked from home for a long time, so that didn't change. You know, the thing that changed the most was um, Andy being home all day. Of course. Uh, but I felt more prepared in that where I studied to be a history teacher. So, um, and I taught in Idaho. So it's like I have those, that teaching building block already there. You know, I knew how to make a lesson plan, um, stuff like that. So for as going into school stuff, that went pretty smoothly. Um, we're homebodies as a general rule anyways. Oh, good. And so, <laughs> so that wasn't terrible. Uh, the only thing, the thing that kind of I, ha I hadn't thought about and should have is we did a drive-by birthday party for one of Andy's school friends. And because he's such a homebody, um, I didn't think about him missing people. He never voiced it. Oh yeah, or anything like that, and and you could ju I could just see, oh yeah, he you know you don't have to voice those things uh, to be feeling those things. So I have tried to put a better effort into feeling. Oh good, that making connections yeah. and things. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, you, I I love what you I love what you said about like not exactly sure how we're doing. Like there are some days when I feel really great, and then yeah. there are some days when I feel really lousy. And then there's yeah. some days where I'm sort of like, how am I doing? Like, yes. 
it's sort of the same, right? Like each day looks yeah. a lot like the one before and the one that will come after. Uh, so yeah. it's sort of this dwelling with myself day in and day out, even as I also dwell with my family. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not always sure exactly how I'm how I'm doing. Sometimes, as you said, it's, it feels like you're sort of just suppressing it, right? If, if yeah. you have strong like, feelings, they're just, you're not letting them come out. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's generally fine. Yeah. You know, it's just fine. It's not, I don't know. It's just been fine. I mean, maybe that's what survival looks like, right? In, yeah. in times of transition or uncertainty, you know, this is a major, huge moment of uncertainty for our whole society. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe that's just one way to survive is to sort of get through the day and get to the next well, day. And I do think for, at least for me, the uncertainty is there, but I can focus and be like, well, all I can control is my little world, you yeah. know, like how we are reacting to what's going on. Yes. And that's a much easier thing to do. And so, you know, sometimes you're like shutting off thinking about other things. You're like, I got to put a wall up yeah. and you can't always do that, right. but at least uh, specific to COVID, you know, I can control how we react. To that. Sure. That's true. And that's really important too, when it comes to the way that we all try to make a contribution to public health. I mean, I, I think about that, you know, what can I do? I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an emergency room doc or nurse or, you know, I don't, I don't work in the front lines of healthcare or, or in the service industry or anything like that. What I can do yeah. is when I, when I need to go out, I can wear a face mask, right? When I need to go yeah. out, I can make arrangements so that my kids don't have to come with me and, and risk yeah. being carriers, right? So we can, we can make responsible, loving decisions, even in confinement, uh, yeah. in order to, you know, I don't know, preserve public health as best we can. Um, but it also applies to our own lives. The only thing we can do is, as you said, is, is respond in ways that are as life-giving to us as we can. So, okay, yeah. thank you. I, you know, I would have forgotten to ask people, but I have a, I have a hope that you will be able to give me a really good, interesting response. <laughs> I haven't been asking people what kind of media they've been consuming, but do you have like a hot show or podcast or book or something that you have, uh, that you can recommend to others? I think I had grand plans of reading a lot yeah. and that kind of has gone by the way. <laughs> it's so funny because I both have so much more time and so much less at the same time. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've been w working our way through old, well, we've seen them before, but we've been rewatching Top Chef. Oh, nice. A lot, which has been interesting because it's been on for so long and it's a, you know, a reality show. So rewatching old episodes at, at 10 years past, growing 10 years and being like, oh, what I thought was not right. Oh, like, yeah. you know, the the person who I thought was the villain was actually not the villain. It was like the victim and getting picked. So that's been interesting. Huh? Yeah. Um, uh, lots of, um, Oh, just Netflix. Yeah. TV shows. Uh, we finished, uh, it's going to sound like a swear, but it's not a swear. We've been, <laughs> we finished it's Creek. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So, that one has been a that that one is a cult classic already. Yes. Even though it just Agreed. finished. Yeah, yeah. We loved it. We only got through about one one and a half seasons, but people keep telling me I gotta go back to it. Yes. Well oh, it's good. almost all on Netflix now, so what last season is not. Oh good, okay. Um but you know, I I watched it because we can get Canadian broadcasting channel here. Oh good, yeah. So watched a lot of the Canadian Canadian shows. So. Good. Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> Uh, yep. The other the other question I've asked about uh, COVID nineteen is that since this is such a a major moment in our in our common life uh, and and a, and a moment of crisis in a lot of ways, there there are ways that societies can handle those moments of crisis and come out stronger, uh, or ways that societies can fall apart in the midst of crisis. And if we were to come out stronger as a society, or as a community, or as a church. Uh, what would what would you hope that would look like? Um, I well, as a society, I think I would I, I would call it selfishness. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a hard. 
interesting to talk about because I think that um, the idea of American individualism, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff, is a really ingrained part of our society mm-hmm. and kind of our national idea. Yeah. But I think that that idea lends itself a lot to um, kind of a selfish worldview. Yeah. Because it's because the that way of thinking is all about you and not about others. Right. So I think that if I had a wish for society, it would be almost to adopt some other worldviews. Like I think about um, the tradition in Asian countries where, you know, we have such a problem here where wearing masks have become such a political thing. But in Asian countries, like you have a cold, you put on a mask and no one thinks twice of it. That's right. Because it's, it's less about, it's about the collective group and not the individual yeah so maybe that's what i would want more about more thinking about the collective group and the well-being of the collective group as opposed to the individual oh that's brilliant um that that is a really i actually think that's a really helpful way to frame what christian life is designed to look like um, from, I mean, obviously from the New Testament on, uh, this notion that we're given diverse gifts by the same spirit and all that is for the common good. I would say that that's a reflection of the same idea that, that your, your individual giftedness, whatever it may be, and as, as liberating as it might be to live into that identity is ultimately intended for the sake of the common good. That's, that's Paul. So like this idea that, that, um, we look out for the interests of the other, I would hope is also ingrained in, in, in Christian communities as well. And I think it is in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a good question. To what degree are we being formed by, uh, individualistic values, values of individual freedom, um, the integrity of the individual and to what degree are we being formed by sort of what you might call other centeredness, right? The, the idea that life is bigger than just my little sphere of life and that I actually have an influence in the way that other people are able to live abundantly or not. Beautiful. Well, and what good is, what good is having these wonderful individual gifts if we don't use it for the betterment of our society as a whole? Amen. You know, it, it, it makes me think, you know, it's like, where, where does your treasure lie? You know, Amen. or, yeah. or and, I, and I also made me think a lot about, um, you know, this little light of mine. You know, you have a gift, you have this wonderful light, but are you hiding it or are you using it to light others? Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Um, the first half of the podcast is really designed to get to know you better. So thank you for letting us in on your life a little bit and, and, and showing us yeah. your heart. Um the second half of the podcast is intended to, to sort of be a, a deep dive, or maybe a shallow dive, into the upcoming Sunday's gospel story. And I wonder if you'd be willing to have some conversation with me about that. Love it. Yes. This Sunday's gospel uh, for the third Sunday after Pentecost is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. Matthew 10, 24 to 39. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Um, so, <laughs> it's not intentional, by the way, that this gospel was assigned for Father's Day, but um, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm used, I was going to say, I'm used to awkward fathers. The church I grew up in, they sang, I don't know, I can't think of why as an adult, um, the Cats in the Cradle song. Oh, yeah. For Father's Day on a regular basis. Oh my gosh, that song is so sad. I know. And as a you know, as a like a youth, I was like, Oh, this is so good, yes. But as an adult, I'm a little bit like, you know, big eyed emoji. So Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um Well, so maybe Maybe that is the my first answer to our first question, which, by the way, there are three that we use to study the Bible at peace, and they're basic questions that are designed to open up conversation. Um, and they are, uh, number one, uh, what do you notice? What Simply, what stands out to you? A word, a phrase, an image? Um, the second question is, what questions do you have? And the, the key there is that you don't necessarily have to have an answer. Uh, maybe a question will lead you to another question, uh, or maybe... Um, there's not really a good answer to a question that you might have about the Bible. Um, and therein lies the mystery and the, the need for, for faith. Um, and then the third question is, what will you take from this text for today? If the word is living and active, and if the, the word is intended to become flesh in our midst, how does this word become flesh for you? So can we start with that first question? Yeah. So what do you notice? I'm, I'm sure you've heard this passage a number of times. What, what do you yeah. notice about it this time? Um, yeah, I am super, you know, well versed in this passage because I think, especially um, Matthew ten thirty nine, that those who find their life will lose it; those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Is a lot. I mean, it's probably it's not the cornerstone, but it's the unofficial one. I think of uh, a modern American evangelical church. Yeah, kind of um, this. I don't. Is it? Like, kind of this, like, you will, you know, people will look down on you. They'll be mean to you. You will be persecuted for your faith. But it's okay. Yeah. Huh. Kind of thing. Because, um, and, and so that's, for me, the thing that I was wrestling with the most, because this is such a common passage, but it's how do you take that and kind of peel away the persecution complex that, it has surrounded it and use it for good, you know, kind of the use it for the betterment of others and not, you know, your selfish or well, you know, selfish well-being. Interesting. So you, you use this phrase complex of persecution. And I think you're referring yeah. to you're referring maybe to the same thing that Joel was talking about last week about how there's this strain uh, in some expressions of Christianity in the United States that that. Uh, the United States isn't Christian enough, and if you're Christian, you're likely to be persecuted in one way or another. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which you know, he, I, when I was listening to his last week, he talking talking about um, the the like creative access countries. Yeah. Uh, you know, those those places, uh, you know, have more problems. Sure. That you know, than the freedom I'm allowed here, but. Um, it, it's almost, uh, you can't, you're not Christian enough if this, if you're not being persecuted in some way. I see. And being persecuted might be, for instance, being asked to sign marriage licenses or assign marriage yes. licenses to same-sex couples or something. It, like is, that. it is very much perceived or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of situation. So for me is taking a verse that I know... Well, I mean, many a sermon has been preached. There's, there's lots of, um, uh, like, worship songs about, you know, whom shall I fear um, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like take, taking that away and using it differently. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've, you've sort of asked a question of the text, too, which is how can this text be meaningful to me in light of a long history of having it interpreted one way and having that interpretation not be especially helpful for you? Yeah. Um, 
one of the things that I notice about this passage right away every time when I hear it is, wow, the standards are really high, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth to the fact that, I mean, so th- this this is part of the missionary discourse, one of the five great discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. And a lot of scholars of the Bible look at this passage, uh, just these several verses here, and, and see lots of disparate statements of Jesus kind of collected into one moment uh, because they're, you know, they're only loosely connected from one to the next. Um, and so a lot of scholars think that this is a place where Matthew said, wow, there are all these really striking statements. I'm going to put them all back to back uh, as a, a, a sort of in order to, to for, for effect, really, like to say, hey, Jesus yeah. had these really powerful turns of phrase that were really ta- challenging to the disciples and and called them to a really... Uh, to a really new understanding of what their life would be like um, yeah. as his followers. And there's a great deal of power in that, especially for a movement that was persecuted for, yeah. you know, some time. And, and boy, it was, you know, terrifying to be a disciple uh, yeah. until, of course, you know, Christianity became sort of the, the rubber-stamped religion of empire a few centuries later. So there is some real risk here. I think the question maybe that I would ask then is what what is the risk? What does the risk actually look like? Does it look like um, refusing to bake a cake for a gay wedding? Or does it look like something else? Is is sacrifice and faithfulness for the sake of love, uh, for the sake of God's truth, something else? Does it look like, uh, you know, standing up for racial justice? Uh, that's certainly the case for the civil rights movement. Um so what exactly does the con the, what constitutes the sacrifice to which Jesus is pointing here? What does it mean to take up a cross and follow him? That's I, a really important question to me. Yeah. I I think um that it's a little bit more of being willing to change your your inward self. Hmm. You know, you, your willingness to to help others and to do things. And you know, your willingness to be like, oh, I've done more research and I was wrong before and now I'm wrong now. And because I think that it is less, unco- it is less uncomfortable to, to say uh, no, for, for people to say, no, I won't bake a cake, right? Because, because I'm, you know, what, you know, I'll find my life, you know, like I'm, but it's more uncomfortable to, to look at yourself inwardly and say, oh, I hold these things and these values and they are wrong hmm. and hard. And so I kind of think that um, losing your life doesn't always have to be actual, the, like the physical act of dying right. or losing your life. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's losing your life to kind of your old behaviors and your old self. Uh-huh. Even if you've been re- raised in a Christian tradition, it's sure. being... It's the ability to be like, oh, no, you know, that was not an appropriate attitude to yeah. have. That didn't reflect faithfulness in God and love for the neighbor, yes. for instance. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I mean, and you're that, describing a conversion experience. I mean, that's what you're talking yeah. about. I think so. And I think that we have to, I think that conversion experiences could happen a lot of times. You know, someone grew up in a church, well, so, or the one, there's an, uh, the Nazarenes call it sanctification. Okay. Uh, which is this idea of, you know, I was in a church and I was baptized when I was young, but there comes a point where my faith becomes my own. Sure. And, you, and so they call it sanctification, but I think that often that, that can be difficult, because that can mean giving up things that you held to be true. Mm-hmm. And and stuff. And I think that oftentimes introspection into yourself is harder than just about anything else. Absolutely. Oh, to admit that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And wrong for a long time and that maybe part of my life is is based on what I don't see to be true anymore. I mean, that's incredibly difficult humble work. Yeah. And I, and I think that also as a community, we have to encourage that being wrong is okay because it's what you do after that wrongness and that you, you know, that how you make your world better after you've realized. Oh, that's gorgeous. Um, oh, man. Yeah. You're reminding me of something I read this week um, 
in a commentary online by Caroline Lewis, who's a professor at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. And she she's talking about the movement for racial justice and how it involves this very dynamic of, of being sort of, it's, it's Maya Angelou's do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better, right? It's this yeah. idea of yeah. like, oh, shoot, I, I didn't know better, and now I do, so I really do need to step it up, right? So if that has to do with my understanding of, of racism itself as a systemic issue and not an individual issue, uh, or, or any other, wherever you find yourself in that, in that, in that journey, um, mm-hmm. this idea of, of becoming, becoming more aware of my own views, my own blind spots, becoming more uh, knowledgeable, and then, and, and humbly changing my, changing my mind, right? And changing my opinions, changing yeah. my life as a result. She, she likens this to confession. Caroline Lewis says the church needs to be the model for confession. Yeah. I love that, that, that we should be the first ones to model humility confession for the sake of forgiveness, because we know that that promise is, is permanent in Christ, right? That, that confession is yeah. not going to be met with, with uh, condemnation, but it's going to be met with grace. I love that. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, you know, you don't, you don't, people lash out when they're fearful, but yes. don't, you don't want to like look in, do the self-inspection because that's also painful. And that's realizing, and it's not even just realizing that you have biases or were wrong in a way. It's realizing that, you know, like maybe your parents were wrong or right. the tradition you grew up in was wrong. Right. Um, and like that's, I mean, I, I understand that that how devastating that could be. Sure, absolutely. And so it's much easier. It's much easier to say no and to cling cling to this idea of persecution uh, than to say, "Oh, you're right." And like, there's something go. here for me to learn. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, that's that's um that's our that's what we're dealing with on a sort of a grand scale too. When you think about American history, for instance. You know, now having a really full understanding of American history means acknowledging those really ugly parts of it, mm-hmm. which are, Absolutely. you know, which are, are, you know, systemically lead up to where we find ourselves today. So if we're going to experience any kind of healing or justice, it's going to be because we acknowledge the reality of our past and present circumstances. And I think we need to know, like, it's okay to have been wrong. That's another problem. Right. If we don't, being wrong is has become like such an awful thing yeah. you know if you were wrong then it was like you just were terrible you know that was terrible yeah it's, it's okay um i've seen some things recently where you know it's like it's okay to be like oh i have more information now than i had before and i was i was wrong before right and now i'm uh, going to change my mind yeah it's absolutely critical uh to transformation right instead of instead of accommodating my views to every new bit of information that I get and, and therefore kind of having to ignore things or change what I'm hearing or whatever the case may be, uh, misrepresent what I've heard or what another person is saying. Uh, yeah, to be able to to repent, really. It's more like, more religious language there. Being able to repent, change your change your mind, change your life, is a that's actually a strength, right? Yeah. That to be able yeah. to go through that process means that you have a strong sense of identity and that you have a desire to be more loving and more faithful in the long run. Yeah. yeah that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I heard recently that racist is not an identity, right? A racist is not, a, it's not a, a shameful identity. It's not something that you are to your core, but yeah. that racism is just the air we breathe, right? It's the experience that we have. Uh, it's, it's our national um, it's our national heritage, right? It's something we've yeah. inherited. And it, so it, it's not about, it's not about being ashamed of who you are. If you acknowledge, for instance, your, uh, you know, the fact that you're subject to racism, it's yeah. the willingness to, uh, to confront that, to admit the ways that you are in fact influenced by something like racism. And then to be able to repent of that and say, no, that's not who I want to be. That, that that's really what it means to be anti-racist, for instance. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, it, I mean, and from a historical context, things, you know, it's like we embrace certain things, and but then it's almost shameful not to embrace it, but, like, you want to hide it away. It never happened. You know, you watch shows, I like shows like, um, Who Do You Think You Are, or, like, there's the one on PBS that I can't remember at the moment that's fabulous. Um, 
uh, where they're kind of going back through their roots uh, oh, yeah. and, and finding things. And it's like, oh, you know, you have, you just have to, no, you, you have relatives from the South, especially as a white person. Chances are that they, there was unsavoriness there, whether it was, you know, they fought for the Confederacy or were slave owners in some capacity or benefited yeah. from it. But yeah. to watch people, you know, we don't want to celebrate it, but you gotta, you have to rectify it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Well, and, and therein maybe lies some of the the debate around Confederate statues, right? And and monuments to to um, our ignoble past, perhaps. And, and Possibly. But I taught, as, as someone who taught U.S. history, I never once pointed to a statue and was like, and here's this person. That yeah. I know about them. <laughs> Good point. That's true. So, you know, I don't know how, I, I get the, get the fear. I get the fear for people to be like, well, if you get rid of that, you're getting rid of this part of me. But that's part of looking at it and being like, this was wrong. We won't forget. But, you know, there are books and there are museums. Other ways. Yeah. There's museums. There's yeah. other ways to get this information. Yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. That last question that that I really love to to end on because it's I think it's maybe the most important way for us to think about scripture, which is you know how how does this actually influence you today and how does this have an impact on your life? Um, that last question is, what will you take from this word for today? How how will this word this this upcoming Sunday's gospel text uh, become flesh in your life today? Um, I have to find that the I think it's ten twenty seven. The, what I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. Yeah. And what you hear whispered, proclaimed from the housetop. Beautiful. I, I think that's, for me, the thing um, that I've both wrestled with recently the most because it's much easier for me, even if, you know, I agree with things being said, it is much safer for me not to say anything at all. And that's so much privilege in that. Yeah. Um, and so I, reading this, it's like, well, I have a duty to use that privilege and proclaim it. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other thing that made me think about, and I had seen this other places, um, and I think it might have been on the, uh, the talk you do on, was is it Monday? The little Bible, the Bible study? Oh, um, uh, yeah, Tuesday morning live? Yes, Tuesday morning. So it's... Um, you're talking about, you know, some people, how it's, it's not getting worse. It's just uncovered. Yes. Um, but from 27, that, uh, verse 27, that made me think about, um, that. And it made me think about how it gave me some hope in that, um, and I've seen this other places, not my talking, but we've raised a, a generation on these, um, books and movies that justice and fighting against these dystopian futures um, are, are like the main base of them. That's right. And so it's given me hope in seeing um, uh, a younger generation be like, well, you raised us this way, so we're taking these lessons and we're not going to allow allow this. Yes, that's right. We always root for the, the rebels in Star Wars, not the Empire. Yes. really hopeful to take and kind of be, you know, it is hard now. And it is hard now, like it has been hard for millennia at certain points in history. Uh, But there's also a hopefulness to it of seeing kind of another, a next generation to know that like I can work hard, but also behind me and coming up are people working harder. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's that's an excellent reflection. Thank you. Beautiful. Um, can I share with you what kind of what's speaking to me today? Yes, love it. There's a lot here. As I said, it's sort of, we think it's probably a number of, of statements that are sort of compiled to, to, you know, make a really strong point um, as Jesus sends the disciples out 
for their missionary work. Um, but the one, and again, this is getting back to the fact that this is a sign for Father's Day. The one that really stood out to me was, whoever loves father or more, or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 37, hello. Yeah. Aren't we supposed to be yeah. celebrating our fathers and mothers, right? Yes. Um, and, uh, but it gets me thinking about the fact that um, Jesus isn't just a, a decorative feature in our lives, right? If, if, if we really call ourselves disciples, his, his word Right. And, and if he is, I mean, he is the word incarnate, right? We say this, this is God's wisdom in the flesh. If he really is our, our, our guiding light, a lamp to our, our feet, a light to our paths, then inevitably that's going to cause us to come into conflict at various points. Um, and he seems to understand that. I mean, if, 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 if you're taking up a cross, it means you've gotten into trouble, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I just read a quote from a, a commentator that I thought was really beautiful, um, and, and he says, he puts it this way. He says, there will be times when allegiance to Jesus causes a crisis of loyalty and forces a decision. The gospel shakes up values, rearranges priorities, and reorients goals. Yeah. Um, that's just speaking volumes to me today, that, that to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth means to stand somewhere and... There is no neutrality here. There's no apolitical kind of way of being a follower of of Jesus of Nazareth, and and so it, it's constantly a question of discerning, you know, uh, what, what Jesus would have me learn and what Jesus would have me say. Shout from the from the housetops, right? Um, and and to be bold and courageous enough to stand in that place, not for my own sake, but for the sake of of Christ and His reign. Um, I read an article this week from Sojourners talking about um, social justice as a Christian tradition, oh, yeah. uh, not a liberal agenda. Yeah, and they talk about you know that even though the quote, even though Jesus loves everyone, taken to the point of dying for their sins, he went out of his way to intentionally help specific groups of people, yes. the alienated, the mistreated, and the face and those facing injustice. Right, um, and then it goes on to talk about you know by removing the cultural context of Jesus's ministry, you know, we're watering it, you water it down to these little religious bits. That's right. Platitudes. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, it's, really, it's really clear um, that Jesus is a prophet in the, the Jewish tradition of, of prophetic voices, right? And the prophetic voices are constantly calling the people to more faithfulness and, and more love for neighbors and especially vulnerable neighbors. And the, the yeah. prophetic voices are challenging people in power. I mean, it's, it's consistent from the Hebrew Testament on all the way up through the civil rights movement and movements uh, to this day. So that's really important. Yeah. Um, and that's what's really speaking to me. It's really a, a word of challenge for me this week. So, hey, thank you for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate your perspectives and letting us know a little bit more, telling us your story. Thank you, Andrea. Of course, of course. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. This has been episode 14 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, uh, our congregation's podcast at Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington. Until next week.